and it is uh, these word connections, these connections between uh, various words in the scriptures. It's everywhere. Um, so before we get into the subject, let me open up in a word of prayer. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we, uh, we do ask, Father, that you would enable us to learn from you. Lord, you, you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, uh, not in uh, images, uh, not in uh, melodies or uh, musical notes. You've chosen to reveal yourself, Lord, to us in words. And so, Lord, we want to be uh, students of your word. We want to, to, to know how to read your Bible. Uh, because, Lord, we know that if we understand the word more, we understand you more. We, we see you more clearly. And we understand your will for our life uh, more clearly. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, do just that. Lord, uh, reveal to us your son even during this hour. Reveal to us how you want us to live even during this time. And I pray, Lord, that it would be an equipping time, but it would also be an edifying time as well for your dear people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as I mentioned, today we're going to be looking at uh, these word connections. What I mean by that is the relationship that words and these small phrases have with each other. Next week we're going to look at what I call thought connections. So today is word connections. Next week, by God's grace, we're going to look at thought connections. And Thought connections are the connections, the relationship between larger chunks of words. So uh, maybe a whole sentence or multiple sentences or even a paragraph, even uh, a group of uh, chapters in comparison or in relation to another group of chapters, uh, all these different things. Uh, that's what we're going to look at next week. But today, we're looking at the connection between words, so very much smaller a very uh, narrow view. Uh, this is helpful as we, we're going to begin to expand our view. We're going between two words or uh, two phrases out to sentences and, and paragraphs and chapters and books. and uh, the, the context is going to get larger as we move along. But when we think about how words are connected, we're talking about uh, the relationship between words and we're saying that there is some sort of connection. There is some sort of interaction between words. And again, just as a reminder, we're going to be looking at these three steps from observation to interpretation to application. So what we're going to do um, is very similar to last week. We're going to look at a, a main subject and we're going to look at different verses and as demonstrations of this um, subject of this kind of word connection. And we're going to be looking at all these observations and all these different verses, but then we're going to land, uh, before we move on to the next topic this morning, we're going to land um, in a particular passage, make some more observations as a group, and then we're going to interpret and apply that to our lives, and, and then we'll move on. So we're going to go through this, um, this practice uh, as the weeks go on. Uh, I, I do encourage you, if, uh, 
If, if you are attending this equipping hour, get a binder, get a three-ring binder, and uh, you know, just punch a hole in these notes, put it in there, and then by the time we're done, whenever that happens, I, I don't have a... I'm still formulating the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the series, and I'm already at 10, and there's, there's more that you know, I want to talk about after that. So we're going to be in this for a while, uh, and that's, that's fine, because... Uh, it's just uh, such a wonderful thing. And I want you, brothers and sisters, to be equipped well uh, to enjoy and know God's Word thoroughly. Nonetheless, we need to get into this. Uh, just as a reminder, we're, we're these three steps of observation, interpretation, application. We looked at this. This picture was in the notes of the first week. If you need that, you can come up to me and I can email it to you. Or maybe I can... Uh, email you the, uh, the whole notes from the first week so that you have that. You can put it into a, a three-ring three binder if, if you want to. But this is, this is the uh, interpretive journey. Uh, this is from the, uh, the book, Grasping God's Word. And we go from step one to two, three, four, and then five. Step one is observation. Okay, That's seeing what was written to them way back then. And then steps two, three, and four are our interpretation step. What does that mean? And we're taking into, into thought, you know, the, the difference between our world and their world, our language, their language. And we're trying to make that, we're trying to cross that principalizing bridge. We're trying to pull out, especially when we talk about the New Testament or the Old Testament, trying to pull out that principle and then, then bring that over into our world. And then, of course, step five is application. What do I do? All right, so step one is observation. Steps two, three, and four can be seen as interpretation. And then step five is application. All right. Word connections. So the first word connection, the first type of word connections, the first type of uh, relationship between words is a simile. Simile. You have that on your notes. S-I-M-I-L-E. It's not simile, uh, it's simile. And this, this uh, should grab your attention as you're reading God's word. I mean, think of this. If you're at the store, you know, going through Target or Walmart, whatever your choice is, um, as you're walking through the aisles, and you look up and you see uh, identical twins, you see identical twins there uh, shopping as well, and they're together. What's your reaction? If you're with somebody, say you say, well, look, it's twins. Or you, you catch yourself staring for a minute because it is out of the ordinary. Um, it's part of God's design and everything like that. It's, but, but it is something that's rare enough to where when we see it, it grabs our attention. It's, and that's how we are. We need to be that way in God's Word. When we see two things that are similar, it needs to, that needs to grab our attention. The moment we see anything alike, especially when we least expect it, that very similarity draws our attention in, grabs us. And similes are used to help uh, people understand, uh, for example, a God who is indescribable. Right? 
Somebody were to ask you, how do you describe God? Well, he's like this. So we're going to see different ways that uh, the authors of Scripture, how the Holy Spirit, through these men, communicated uh, realities that are so indescribable. Uh, thoughts and, and truths and people and experiences that are so uh, beyond human language that we have to use these things called similes to try and help describe that indescribable thing. For example, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you. So we see here, we see this deer panting for the water brooks, and then we see us, right? My soul pants for you. So we see this, this relationship, this, this relationship of this panting or this longing or this thirsting. And then the water brooks are described as, as our God, right? The things that, that provides um, sustenance and and. And this, um, it sustains life. It provides this refreshment to the soul, right? Because the deer is my soul. But the, the simile, the, the way that you can know that you're looking at a simile are these words, as or so. So these are key words. When we talk about similes, when we talk about studying God's word, it's, it's as uh, so, like, um, yeah, and various other words, uh, but these are the key words, it's as, so, and like. So we're going to be looking at a, a few verses, and um, let's see if we, can, if we can find these words in this. First uh, Peter 2.2. 2. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So what key word do we see in this passage? Like. That's right. So like newborn babies. <clears throat> so this, this newborn baby is compared to us longing right, for the pure milk. So, like a newborn baby, longs for the milk of its mother, so we ought to long for the pure milk of the Word of God. Okay, now this word, just, just in passing, this word so is actually connected with so that, right? So, this is not a simile, right? So that is actually one word in the Greek. So when you see, it's not just the word so, but it's, it's, it's the word so that. So that's not a simile. But this word like is. Okay, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now it's a different word here. Different words here. That is, it's a key word that we didn't actually, that I didn't write down. But can you see which key word here is making that connection between two things that are compared? Just as. That's right. 
So this kindness, this tenderheartedness, this forgiving, especially this forgiving, is supposed to be a simile or similar to how God in Christ forgives you. This is something that we need to remember, right? Um, That we can forgive one another because we have been forgiven. Somebody who is unable to forgive and lives in bitterness is somebody who has never tasted or has forgotten the taste of the forgiveness of God. They have lost sight of how God forgave them, and so therefore they are unable or unwilling to forgive somebody else. In our relationships, brothers and sisters, we need to remember the gospel often and use the gospel, apply the gospel to our lives. All right, I'm getting preachy. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's the key word here? Just as. Yes, that's right. You can tell this is something that comes up often in Ephesians. It just comes often in uh, Paul's writing. He uses this, this wording of just as uh, as a key word for his similes, his word connections. So notice the, the connection, right? Husbands loving your wives is just as Christ loved the church. So this love, the, the love of the husband, needs to be just as or like the love of Christ. And he goes on to describe sacrificial, giving himself up for her, sanctifying, washing her with the word. And so on. So this is the word connection, okay? Uh, A couple more. John 3. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So what do we see here? What What are the key words? As and even so. Yes. So sometimes you'll see this, you'll see two of them, but it's, they're both doing the same thing. Uh, this word, uh, the word as, could be moved here. Moses lifted up the servant, as must the Son of Man be lifted up. It, it communicates the same thing, but just uh, style-wise, it's just a different way of doing it. It's a different way of taking two things and showing the similarity, showing that relationship of similarity between the two. So he's comparing that the way in which Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness is the way that the Son of Man must be lifted up. And we know from Numbers 21, there in your notes, that what did they have to do? What, remember when there was, were, were all those uh, fiery serpents, right? As God's judgment on the people. And then God told Moses to make a bronze servant, put it on to his staff, and lift it up, right? Lift it up the servant in the wil- serpent in the wilderness. What did people have to do to be healed? Look at it, right? So even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. So he'll be lifted up on a stick on the cross as well, and we look at him, right? It's just, it's just a look of faith, Right? Same thing. The way that people were saved in the Old Testament is the way that people are saved in the New Testament. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. They look forward, we look back. But we both look up to the cross, to Christ. 
Proverbs 25. Like a trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. I chose this because it's not... The, the, the similarity is, is a little harder to get, and Proverbs is like this. Okay, so what's the key word? Like, right. So we're comparing this trampled spring, this polluted well. We're comparing that with a righteous man who gives way before the wicked, okay? That's what we're comparing. Now, a trampled spring, a polluted well. Right. What is a spring supposed to do? Produce and supply water. Same thing with a well, right? It supplies water. And water is, I mean, it's the source of life. It's what sustains life. You can't live without it. Okay, so that's the intended design of a spring, is to give water, to give life. A trampled spring is a spring that is still producing water, but it is muddied, right? A a polluted well still supplies water, but it is tainted, right? Okay. A righteous man. When we see this, this word before, a righteous man before the wicked, that means a righteous man in front of the wicked, in the view of or in the face of the wicked. So what, why are we here on this earth? Why are the righteous, by grace through faith in Christ alone, right? Why are the righteous still on this earth living before the wicked? Why are we here? Why? What's our mission, church? To share the gospel, to make disciples, Right. Another way of saying it, that is, as we share the gospel, declare the gospel, we give life. We provide life. We offer life, right? It's like the spring. It's like the well. But if we give way, if we give way, another word, another way to translate give way, this is why it's good to have multiple translations, especially if you stop somewhere in your daily reading and you want to know really what it's saying. Maybe this is in your daily reading and it's confusing to you. Well, then stop and open an app or a website or pull the other Bible versions off the shelf and turn to the same verse. You'll see other words here, like totter. We don't use that word much. Or stumble. Or fall. So a righteous man who falls in the face of the wicked... Our our purpose here is still to give life, still to give the gospel. But if we are a people that totter and stumble and fall into sin regularly, then we are like a trampled spring. Our message gets muddied. We're like a polluted well. Our message gets tainted, as it were. And people don't want to hear what we have to say. Because I keep on yelling at my coworkers or my boss at work. And then I try and share the gospel and they say, well, you're, you're, you're no different than me. Why do I need to listen to you? See, man, that's convicting. That is convicting. Okay, let's move on. 
Isaiah 44, 6 to 7. Uh, we're not going to look at that for the sake of time. Yeah, no way. Um, uh, let's see. Psalm, here we go, Psalm 1, 1 through 4. I tried to format this so that it looks exactly like what you have on your printout as far as the spacing and the, the wording so that when I make a marking, you can make a marking and it should look similar, okay? But to do that, we had to sacrifice the size of the font, okay? Bear with me. Forgive me. Somebody please read these four verses. Thank you. So do we see these key words of as or so or like? Where do we see these? There's a couple of them, a couple instances. Okay, like, where do we see that? Verse three, three. yes. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Do we have another one? Yeah, that's right. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. That's right. So, we see here these Images, these, a tree firmly planted by streams of water. We see this, this chaff which the wind drives away. Those are not alike, right? Those are not similes, right? Uh, those are two very graphic images, uh, paintings, word images uh, that describe this uh, spiritual reality. Think of a tree that is planted by streams of water. Uh, does that... Why is that good? Is that good? Okay, why is that good? Yes, yes, amen. So we see uh, constant nourishment. What else? Why else is that good? Yeah, and that's right. And it says it right here. It yields its fruit, right? So it, 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 uh, the result of being a tree, which is firmly planted by streams of water, is that it, it actually produces. It fulfills its purpose. Uh, a tree that doesn't yield fruit, especially if it's a fruit tree, is useless. Uh, we have a tree in our backyard where uh, it has not produced fruit. And the thought has crossed my mind. I'm going to rip this thing out of the ground. The only thing it's good for is shade. It, that, that, <laughs> yeah. It's not giving up on us, is it? 
the only thing that it's good for at this point is, is, is shade, but there's a point where it's like, well, I, I want something more than shade. I would like to enjoy fruit. I can get any other tree, or I can get a canopy or an umbrella to give me shade. We, we, we planted this here for, to enjoy the fruit of it. <clears throat> Anyways, so there's this constant nourishment. There's this uh, assurance of fruit. Uh, there's this... Um, it does yield its fruit in its season, right? So it, when it's time for it to bear fruit, it will. There's this assurance that there will be good produce from it. Okay. Well, let's compare that. What is that being compared to? Who, this he, right? Who's this he? Christ. Ultimately, yes. Ultimately, yes. But here, who is, who is the he? Yeah. Yeah, this man. The man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but the man who delights in the law of the Lord. That kind of man, that kind of woman... <clears throat> who delights in the law of the Lord, who not only delights in it, but meditates day and night on the law of the Lord and rejects the, the voice of the world, which is the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. That kind of person, first of all, is blessed. Right? What's the blessing? The blessing is the constant nourishment. The blessing is the assurance of fruit. See that? He's making that comparison between the two. So the, the simile of this blessed man with this tree by the streams of water, the simile is providing for us a vivid understanding of the value of the word of God. You see? Because it's all centered around the Word, right? It's all centered about, around your mind and, and what you input into your mind. You keep out the teachings of the world, the, the wicked, the sinner, the scoffer, and you, and you welcome freely and, and, and uh, wholeheartedly the law of the Lord. And you keep it because you meditate on it day, to, day and night. If that's you, you will have constant nourishment to your soul, and you can have an assurance that God will change you, that God will work on you, that God will give you growth, God will give you victory over sin, and that he will help you be the man or the woman that, you want, that he calls you to be. On the contrary, the chaff, this, this chaff is, is the polar opposite of a well-nourished tree. Chaff is basically the, uh, the waste of a grain of wheat. So there's a grain of wheat that grows, there's a stem, and then there is the, um, the, 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 the whatever, the, the grain on the top, right? 
The chaff is all that stuff that surrounds the grain. It's that fine, paper-like material. What do we do with that? We just cast it aside. I mean, in our modern-day farming methods, we just run that through the mill, run that through the, uh, the machines, and what we're trying to get is the grain. And what we get rid of is the chaff. And that chaff was so small, so light, so delicate, that it just crumbled in your hand because by the time you harvested it, it was completely dry. And so if you take that and you just put it on the ground, the wind so easy, it takes just the slightest breeze to just take that chaff and to blow it away. Notice that the wicked are just like that. That they are not firmly planted. They are not firmly planted. Rather, they are their, their spiritual state and their soul, there's no firmness about it. There's no anchor to it. There's no roots to it. It just blows away in the affairs of life. And we, we should notice that in the world around us. When something like COVID hits, the world becomes chaff. The souls of men become chaff and they just tremble. And they are driven away by fear. To where fear just controls them. Just absolutely controls And same thing, just get off of COVID. Uh, same thing when somebody loses their job. The same thing when somebody uh, loses a loved one. If they don't know the Lord, if they're not firmly planted in the word of God then these life trials, these, these, the, the, the consequences of sin in their life just ruins them, crushes them. And they're like this chaff that is driven away by the wind. Don't let that be you, Christian. If you notice in your life that when trials come, you buckle. That means either your chaff or you have neglected the word of God in your life. And you are uh, a tree, but you're not a tree that is drawing upon that stream. Okay, so that's similes, okay? That's similes. Now, contrast, contrast. So, when you go to a store and you see a pair of twins... Uh, that catches your eye, right? Likewise, when you go to the store and you see a uh, very, I just say, you see a very ugly man walking, uh, pushing a cart, and next to him is this beautiful woman that catches your eye. Men, the beautiful woman shouldn't catch your eye. You need to look away and protect your eyes, right? Obviously. But the reality that this hideous man and this pretty lady are together and it seems like they're married, that should stop you in your tracks, right? Doesn't it? Like, what is this lady doing with this guy, <laughs> right? He must be rich. We come up with all kinds of excuses why in the world this lady would be with that guy. 
because it just doesn't compute. These, these contrasts, these two things that are so polar opposite catch our attention. Same thing in God's Word. Same thing in the Word of God. The flip side of comparison or simile is contrast. Things that are unlike. So contrast, what contrasts do is they compare ideas, individuals, and items to show their difference. Similes compare ideas, individuals, or items to show their similarity. To compare the two, show how they're alike. The contrast shows their differences. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for differences. And it's keywords like, uh, but, yet, however, We'll go, we'll go with that. There's others, but these are the key ones. But, yet, however. In this passage, Jesus says, we looked at this last week, remember that? This, in, in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And he goes on. Remember last week we looked at the, the, the idea of repetition. What was the thing that is repeated? What's the phrase that was continually repeated in this chapter? Does anybody remember? Yes, but I say to you. So you have heard, and then, but I say to you, that is repeated and repeated and repeated. But what is he doing here repeatedly? What is the key word in this passage, or in this verse, of contrast, the key word of contrast? Which one of these do we see? But, that's right. So what's, what, what is he doing? He's contrasting two things. What he's contrasting is what they did used to hear and what he's saying to them now. What was said to them and what he is saying to them. Those two things are being contrasted with each other. The the main contrast is in the tense. This is past tense. You have heard in the past. But when he says, I say, this is present tense. But I say to you now. So the past and the present is what he's contrasting, really. And what he's saying is, now I'm getting at the heart. I'm getting at the heart, the gospel. And the kingdom of God is about heart change, not just outward formalities. Proverbs 14.31, he who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. So what's the contrast word here? Again, but. And what is being contrast? He who oppresses the poor and he who is gracious to the needy. So 
oppression is not the same as being gracious, right? What else is being contrasted here? That's right. So taunting is contrasted with honor. So we actually see two things that are contrasted, right? This, this oppressing of the poor and being gracious to the needy. The one who oppresses the poor taunts his maker because the poor are made in God's image. But he who is gracious to the needy honors him because they are made in God's image. And as he is gracious to the, to the needy, he is actually being like his maker who is gracious to the needy. Right? We see this in the teachings of Jesus Christ himself. Right? Okay. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again, we see the word, but. Right? So what is being contrasted here? Yeah, gentle, harsh, because answer and word are the same, right? They're the same. And what's also contrasted here is turns away as opposed to stirring up because wrath and anger are very much the same. But these two things are not these two things are not. So, if you have arguments in your life, right? If your home is filled with wrath and anger, then stop and look at yourself and how you are answering the other person. You need to answer gently. Even when you are faced with wrath or anger or mistreatment, or sin, a gentle answer turns away, deflects wrath. But if you just answer fire with fire, so to say, all you're doing is stirring up anger. And so no duh, you're in the middle of an argument. right? No duh, you're fighting. All right. I can't stop. Um, the key word here I want to breeze through these because yeah we need to get we, we, need, we need to land uh, the contrast word here is but the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality impurity sensuality and it goes on verse 19 20 21 Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. So, the flesh is contrasted with the fruit. Or, excuse me. The, uh, the flesh is contrasted with the Spirit. Excuse me. And the deeds of the flesh is contrasted with the fruit. That's the main contrast here. The deeds of the flesh the fruit of the Spirit. But deeds and fruit, just taking them by, their, by themselves, deeds and fruit, they're talking about the same thing. The deeds are the fruit. The fruit are the deeds. 
But the difference is that one is the deeds or the fruit of the flesh, and the other is the deeds or the fruit of the Spirit. So what's, what's similar are these words, deeds and fruit. So when we look at love, joy, peace, patience, gent- kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are supposed to be deeds, not just attitudes, but it should show in your life, just like the flesh is shown in your life in all of these actions. See? Okay. A, a good one here. Second Samuel 11, 1. Somebody please read that for me. Thank you, brother. This is, well, what's, what's the key word here of contrast? What was it? But. That's right. So what's being contrasted is David with uh, Joab, his servants, Israel, right? So David versus these other people. Um, but what's really being contrasted is that he stayed, right? Because while David stay, stayed, it's contrasted with all these other people and what they did. They were sent out by David. Uh, this is the time when kings go out to battle. Uh, what they did when they went out to battle, they destroyed and besieged these pagan nations uh, because that's what God instructed them to do. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now, why this contrast? Why introduce this chapter this way? Well, because 2 Samuel 11 and the following chapters describe for us the fall of David with Bathsheba and how he committed immorality and then lied and conspired, and even killed to cover up his sin. See? So even in narrative, we have this. We don't have time, but in Acts 4, 32, we see the same thing. We have in Acts 4, 32 through 35, we have the description of not a needy person, was among the early church, they were laying things at the apostles' feet. Uh, and then it describes Joseph, who, um, who uh, sold his track of land, brought the money, and also laid at the apostles' feet. But Ananias and Sapphira, in chapter 5, verse 1. Those connecting words is making a connection between what just happened and what is about to be described. These connecting words are so critical because... That should make you stop and say, okay, what's the difference? It's not just, okay, now we're going to talk about the next thing that happened. That's not what the author of Acts is doing. He wants you to stop and notice the difference. 
between the selflessness, sacrificial attitude of the early church versus the selfish, greedy attitude of Ananias and Sapphira and what God does with those two kinds of attitudes, okay? We should stop, pull over to the side of the road, and get out and look around. Okay, we have other verses, but I want to land in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is a wonderful psalm, very instructional psalm. I want to just, uh, I'm going to go through this a little quickly, okay? The words of contrast that we see, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious and arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So that's the psalmist's attitude. God is great and, 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 he, and he is good to those who are pure in heart, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling as, and, and my feet almost slip because I'm looking at the, envy, at, at, the, at the wicked and how prosperous they are. And I envy them. See, this, this purity of heart is not conducive with envy of heart. But as the psalm goes on, he, he continues to wrestle with the, what he sees versus what he knows. And the envy is still there. But then he lands with the right perspective in verse 25 here, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Oh, that's a change of tune. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. There's a contrast. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. See the contrast here. Even though my flesh and my heart may fail, even though I may waver and even fall into envy or doubt, I need, to rem- I need to remember that God is the strength of my heart and my portion. Even though my, 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 my mind and my heart wrestle with life, despite that, God is still my strength. And he is still my portion. And he goes on. Here's why. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. See, it dawns on him. He is reminded that I don't need to be envious of the wicked because I know their end. They will be destroyed because, and they will perish because they reject God. But for me, I will not be destroyed. I will not perish because 
I am faithful to my God because the nearness of God is my good. You see, they can have all their riches. All I need is the nearness of my God. They can have their nice cars, their big homes, their, their bottomless bank accounts. I need my God. That's all I need. And his nearness is my good. His nearness is my treasure. And so I don't have to be envious. Okay. See the contrast? Okay. Now, lastly, metaphors. Metaphors. We've kind of already covered what this is. A metaphor is used much like a simile or a contrast. Most often it's used as a simile. But what a metaphor does it is that it directly states a comparison or contrast without using those key words. Okay? So it is doing the same function, but you have to be a little more um, attentive to when you read because you won't have those, those flags like like or as or but or yet. You won't have those words necessarily. So you won't, don't have those key words, but nonetheless, you still have comparisons, you still have contrasts, you still have similes, you still have dissimilar things being looked at. For example, Jesus says, John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So we see, he doesn't say, I am like, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I am like a true vine. He doesn't say, my father is as a vine dresser. Or my father as the vine dresser uh, prunes the branches. He doesn't do that. He doesn't use those words. But nonetheless, he's still doing the same thing. Because Jesus isn't a vine. He's not a plant in the ground. He's a person. He's the God-man, right? Uh, the Father is not literally a vine dresser. He doesn't have an apron on. He doesn't have prunes and, or shears. Right? He doesn't do that. We are not literally branches. We're human beings, Right? Obviously, this is a metaphor. He's speaking of spiritual realities. And John 15 explains those spiritual realities. But this is the introduction to it. Okay? And John 3, same, another passage that we're very used to. Jesus answered and said to him, that is Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, the metaphor is being born again. Now, is he saying literally be born again? Is he? No. Well, this is, this is exactly what Nicodemus is getting at. He's, he's saying, you're not saying I need to be literally born again. Verse 4, how, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time in his mother, mother's womb and be born, can he? What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus goes on to explain. I'm speaking in a metaphor. 
When I say you need to be born again, I'm saying you need to be born of the water and the spirit. It's a spiritual rebirth. And so all of the imagery, all of the realities of the physical event of birth can be, for the most part, translated over into this spiritual birth where the person being born is passive. And that's actually what he explains later on. That the wind, the, the spirit is like that wind, right? And, and, and blows, you don't know where it's coming or where it's going, but you see the effects, right? He goes on to explain that. And so it is with us. We see the effects. We don't know exactly how it happened, and we can't explain the, the, you know, the nuts and bolts, per se, about how I was regenerated, but I know that I am saved. See? It's a spiritual work. It's a mysterious work. Same thing in John, uh, excuse me, James 3. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. So, th- or though they are so great, they are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Now he does use this so, but he doesn't use it every time. He's using these metaphors. The, the, the bit in the, in the mouth of the horse, the, uh, the ship and its rudder, and uh, even the the, uh, the forest that is set aflame and a small fire, a match. I mean, here in California, we know this reality very well. You can destroy large amounts of property and area and forest with just one match. So much destruction can come from one small f- flame, Right? That's the tongue. The tongue, if we can only control the tongue, we can con- there is so much good that can come out of it. It's like a bit in the horse's mouth. Just that little bit, that little stick in the, in the mouth of the horse with the, those, uh, those reins coming off of either side, that little stick with those small strands of leather, can command this, this massive animal. Right? So much power. Same thing, a, a massive ship with one little rudder in the back, almost. It's just this, this shaft with this little flap at the bottom of it. right? And it steers this massive ship. So also this one small mass, this one small flame, and a, a, a world of forest fire, right? So it is with the tongue. Small part of your body, massive results. So control your tongue, right? Be careful what you say. Be careful what you don't say. Be careful how you say it. All right, the last few minutes we're going to spend here in Psalm 23, a very familiar uh, Chapter, Psalm 23, a psalm of David, 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So when we think about metaphors, this chapter, this psalm is full of them. There's a bunch. So just shout out, what are some metaphors? What are some pictures that obviously aren't literal, physical realities, but they are pictures of spiritual realities? Shepherd, yeah. So the Lord, Yahweh, remember this is Yahweh. Yahweh is not somewhere in New Zealand tending sheep. Okay, that's a metaphor. What else? What are some other pictures, word pictures? Yeah, green pastures, good. I'm just following along. There's so many. Quiet waters. Yeah, paths. Paths of righteousness. Mm-hmm. This valley. This, the, how about the rod and the staff, right? God doesn't follow us around with a rod or a staff. Sometimes he should. I wish, sometimes I wish he would. He just bought me upside the head and said, stop it. I'd say, okay, Lord. A table. That's prepared. Um, this, this anointing, right? We don't, right? The anointing of oil. Our cup. There's no literal cup. This following, right? There isn't somebody called goodness and somebody called loving kindness following me around wherever I go. The house of the Lord. How about that? The house. So see, all of these things, he's, 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 Painting this, I mean, it's masterful. It's masterful painting of spiritual realities. Just wonderful. Notice the progression. This is something that I, I, I think we've all heard these, or this, this psalm taught, preached. Uh, we've, we've, we, our mind goes back to it. We've read it multiple times, hopefully, if, if we're a believer. But let me show you something that maybe you didn't notice before that um, is, is really neat and really helpful as far as the, the, the big picture, okay? The big picture is God is your shepherd, you are his sheep, right? That's the big picture. But notice the progression of where he's taking you and what it's like to be a sheep under Yahweh as our shepherd. And we know, of course, on this side of the cross that Christ is Yahweh and he is the good shepherd. He is our shepherd. So what's it like to have Christ as your shepherd? Well, he, he, 
It makes you lie down in green pastures. He gives you peace, right? Uh, green pastures is, is a place where you can rest and eat. I mean, sheep eat the green grass. But you've, eat, you've eaten so much that you have to lie down. Satisfaction. He satisfies the soul. And then he takes you, after you've eaten and, and rested, he's taking you beside quiet waters. He's actually, <clears throat> because in a stream, uh, when a sheep comes to a stream, if it's rushing, if it's too quick, the sheep gets scared and it won't drink, and it'll literally uh, kill itself because it won't drink of the, the water. So a shepherd has to uh, form a, a, almost a, a half dam in the, in the stream to make a little pool of calm water so that, the, so that sheep can come and drink. Such attention, such carefulness. And, and, and tender care that our shepherd has for us. He restores our soul. And then he guides you along life in the paths of righteousness. He, he, tell, he shows you where to go. And as a good shepherd, he walks in front of us in those paths. And so as we look to Christ, we look at how he lived. And our calling as Christians is to be Christ-like and walk the path that he walked. Not to the cross, but, but walk the path of righteousness that he walked in obedience to the Father. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, so we're going from the paths of righteousness. We, there's sometimes where we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. This, this, it's called this, this valley where, where all of the wolves and the predators congregate. It's, it's easy pickings. It's like sh- shooting fish in a barrel, we say. So sometimes we have to go through those precarious situations of life. And... Even in those instances of life, we fear no evil because our shepherd is with us. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us because the the rod is used to fight off the evil ones, fight off the opposition, the predators, and the staff is there to keep me along the right path. And then, not only that, but he prepares a table. He Even in the presence of our enemies, he sits us down and is so strong to keep them at bay so that we can sit down and even enjoy a meal, enjoy life in the midst of our enemies, in the midst of spiritual danger. Not only that, but he has anointed our head with oil. And that means that he has given us honor. And then our cup overflows. And, and as we go along this path, through this path of righteousness, through the valley of death, by, by quiet streams of water, by green pastures, as we traverse this landscape, goodness and loving kindness are what follow us, are what chase us. It's not wolves, it's not enemies, it's not danger, it's not harm that seems to be always around the next corner, but rather goodness and loving kindness because God is with us and it follows us all the days of our life until... We finally reach the house. See the journey. There's this progression through all these phases of life, all of these different experiences. We have Christ as our shepherd and the assurance that I will go from the valley to the house. I will get there. And you will get there, Christian, because Yahweh is your shepherd. And you can be confident that for all eternity, you will dwell in his house, because he got you there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, speaking on our level, 
Thank you for coming down and stooping yourself, even with language and communicating your love for us, your greatness, your magnificence, communicating the realities of the gospel, communicating them in vivid ways where we can get it, we can see it, we can smell it and taste it. God, you, you want us to know you. You want us to know who you are, what you're like, and what you've done for us. Not just in a scholastic, uh, heady kind of way, but in a vivid, real, experiential way. And thank you for communicating these things this way so that we can do that. We pray, Lord, I, I pray for your people as they read your word this week that you would cause these similes, these contrasts, these metaphors to jump off the page, that you would minister to them in their times with you in your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.